stop, listen, and ask yourself, have you ever pondered at the idea that there may be something to the other side? If so, and you're hearing my voice for the first time, then you may have just fallen into the void. Well, hey there, hello there, and welcome to a very special episode of Into the Void, where we talk about anything and everything paranormal. I'm your ghost host with the most G-Man, bringing you all the best in Supernatural. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to part two of the Ed and Lorraine Warren special. If you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to part one of episode 14, and that's you'll be able to hear everything that we talked about beforehand. Renee was with me. Also, a big thank you to Gabriel Samaniego for coming in and talking with us about everything that led up to the inspiration of The Conjuring Films. Renee is back here with me again. Renee, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Oh, I am rushing today. <laughs> I am rushing all over the yeah, place. Man. <laughs> the fun of being a father, right? right? <laughs> Always rushing everything. <laughs> so I don't want to waste too much time here. I know, I know normally we go back and forth, but I don't want to waste too much time because today is part two of our special, and uh, we have a special guest joining us today. In fact, we have him on the phone right now, so without further ado... Listeners, please give a warm welcome to the director of the Warren Legacy Foundation for Paranormal Research, exorcist, demonologist, and paranormal investigator, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris McKinnell. Hi, thank you for having me on. Hi, Chris. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I also just want to let you know I have Renee here, my sound engineer. He's here with us. Hello. Hey, Renee. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really ecstatic to talk to you today. So I'm looking forward to this. Cool, cool. So, Chris, if you could just let our listener know exactly who you are and why you are so important to us on this show. Well, I'm not sure why I'm that important to you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm Ed Lorraine's grandson. I started working with them back in 1980, so I've been doing this for a little while. And when my grandparents became world famous instead of just regionally famous... We realized we needed to expand our mission, and I talked to my grandmother, and we agreed that the Warren Legacy Foundation should happen. So now we've got a network of professionals all over the world. Well, not quite all over, but we're working on it. And if you have problems with the paranormal, contact us. It's free, and we're there to help you. That is amazing. That is really cool. Wow. I apologize for going off here, but I'm excited because (laughs) this is something that I've been thinking and dreaming and pushing for. And I know, Chris, you and I have been back and forth on text messages through Facebook. So I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show. This is amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. I do have some burning, haunting questions (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you. But first, I wanted to kind of ask you uh, a personal question that has happened in your life that actually has become very a very motivational story for a lot of people. It's an inspiration story. You had a weight loss surgery, and uh, I was just curious what type of um, like what type of weight loss surgery was this? It's called the um, bariatric sleeve. It's a relatively Mm -hmm. newer operation. Mm And I had it on August 20th. I had to lose a bit of weight before then. I ended up losing 117 pounds before the operation. Wow. Uh, Now I'm down 150. I still have quite a ways to go, about 140. I'm ambulatory for the first time in years, and I'm moving to Spain in two weeks. 
Nice. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's, oh my gosh. Well, sir, congratulations, by congratulations, the way, yeah. uh, on you. your goals. That is amazing. What has life been like now after having that type of surgery? Yeah, liberating. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I've got far more energy than I've had in many, many, many years. That's good. I was building houses for the Israeli army a long, long time ago, and I stepped backward through a hole in the roof, and I messed up my back. Oh. Ended up uh, having three herniated discs and some deterioration issues. You know, I always worked in the field, always um, as a social worker, even as a teacher. I was standing all the time and moving around. Then I got a job in an office as a caseworker, and that sedentary lifestyle just was not good for my back. I ended up crippling myself, becoming very overweight. And it took this motivation of this surgery to help me to lose the weight and now to keep it off. And I'm lucky because of my grandparents. I've always hidden from the public. I was getting well-known in my 20s doing talk shows and stuff, but I didn't like the attention. So I was able to, you know, let my grandparents take the front and never <laughs> show myself. It was when my grandmother, um, finally, we, we announced that she was retired. She'd been retired for quite a while, but... We announced her retirement that I had to step forward if we were going to continue this work and be effective. Okay. So that's why I do it. And I, the, the thing that makes me feel very lucky about that is because people have seen me for about five years now, they've seen the changes I'm going through, and it is inspiring a lot of people. That makes me feel really good. I, I love helping people. That's that's really my goal in life, that and education. That's always a good feeling when you're able to help people, especially in a talent that you are very skilled at. You know, mm -hmm. There are times where I will be out and about getting errands done, and you know, I'll see someone who looks like they really do need some help, and you know, I'll offer some change here and there, um, which clearly does not match up to what, <laughs> what you have done, Chris. But at the same time, that feeling that you get definitely is a, a really good feeling. So that, that's really awesome. It, it doesn't matter how you help someone. It's just as you do unto the least of my brothers, so you do unto me. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. I live by that. So I wanted to ask you here, uh, you had mentioned that you have your own podcast, correct? That's right. Yeah, it's called The Warren Files. As a matter of fact, I'll be dropping the first five episodes on Tuesday, October 15th. Oh, so awesome. So by the time this is out, they'll already be out. Oh, awesome. And, and how many episodes will be coming out? Uh, there'll be one a week from then on. I'll, the first uh, 10, 11 episodes that I've got already done are all with guests. Uh, but as I go around the world, and I am going all around the world for the next several wow. years, wow. I will be doing podcasts on location talking about what the paranormal is in those locations. Because the paranormal does not present itself the same in different locations. You'll never get a Christian demon in a Hindu family. Huh. And it's incredibly rare to get a jinn, you know, a genie, in the United States. It's happened, but it's incredibly rare. Culture and the belief system of the family involved shapes how the phenomena portrays itself. Interesting. So, are, and these are, these are the types of things that we would be getting uh, from this podcast? Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Wow. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing. How many guests do you plan on having uh, so far uh, on the show, or have you had already on the show? Uh, I've already done 12 episodes with 12 different guests. 
Oh, wow. Okay. I, I forgot the one I did last night. Oh, awesome. And then I have another one with a fella. In, and these are people from all over the world. I've interviewed people in Germany, England, Scotland, Portugal, Costa Rica, the United States, of course. Awesome. And uh, out of all the 12 uh, people that you've interviewed so far, uh, who stands out to you so far? Oh, well, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, they are all fascinating for all different reasons. There's one who's a a former Dominican priest who's now a psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of these people, perhaps all of them, are members of the Warren Legacy Foundation. Wow. I felt it was very important that I give them a voice, that people know that we've got real strong experts that they can turn to when they're in trouble. So I've got a woman in Portugal who's an Afro-Brazilian priestess. She's also a divinator and an amazing medium and psychic. Uh, There's a fella in Glasgow, George Wiley, professional medium, he is extraordinary. I've got a, our chief medical consultant up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. She had some insights that blew my mind. I, I really thought that was a terrific interview. There's a young lady. Currently, she lives in Texas. I believe she might be from somewhere in Southeast Asia. Okay, yeah. And she's also a very talented medium who is fascinated by Bonnie and Clyde and the Bonnie and Clyde Museum, mostly because Bonnie and Clyde talk to her all the time. Wow. Every time she goes in there. Now, we're, I mean, this is Bonnie and Clyde, the very well-known, notorious bank robbers. That's right. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And it turns out that Bonnie was pregnant when she was killed. Mm-hmm. And my friend, Ashley Storm, the woman that I'm speaking of, she is currently pregnant. Now, Clyde did not want to talk to Bonnie, uh, to um, Ashley, and yet once they knew that she was pregnant, all of a sudden he became very protective of her. Wow. Yeah, and she, she leaves little gifts for them. She brings things uh, for them, kind of like offerings, and they've kind of bonded. Wow. wow. And her insights into Bonnie and Clyde are pretty extraordinary because a lot of the things that we think are true are not so true. Like the Highwaymen uh, movie that was on Netflix recently right. portrayed uh, Bonnie walking up to a cop and shooting him in the head. Yeah. And it never happened. He, they weren't even in the same state that day. Wow. Mm. So a lot of times the crimes that they were accused of were not the actual the, the crimes that they actually committed. When you look in the history, it turns out that it's all accurate. So I, I love that. That's amazing. I, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I check everything out. Okay. I feel the same way um, Renee knows when it comes to a story that we get on the show, I always manage to really look into that story and, and really do the research before I can even say this is a good story to put on the show because I am definitely a bit of a skeptic myself. Even though I've had my own paranormal ex- experience, there was a lot of questions once it was all done and I was finally feeling like my normal self again. There were a lot of questions that came up, so I can completely understand that of, of being a skeptic. It's so, normal oh, yeah. to be in denial after an extraordinary experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I wanted to ask you, the Warren Legacy Foundation here, there's a website that you can go and visit uh, for the Warren Legacy Foundation. Yep, www.warrenfiles.com. Okay. It should be up by the time this airs. Awesome. And uh, what types of styles of investigators are available through uh, the research group? 
everybody. Ooh, nice. Everybody. We have everybody from Christian ministers to witches to Hindu. It doesn't matter. If, if you've got a problem, and regardless of what we've got, a rabbi, whatever your religion is, whatever your spiritual beliefs are, that's fine. We work with you, with your beliefs, not ours. So would you say then the foundation has to uh, offers a lot to people that are looking as, as opposed to um, exorcists, demonologists, people that they can talk to? See, I'm not, I'm not overly fond of this current craze for everyone to run around calling themselves demonologists. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was a demonologist, but he was the only one that was not a priest in all of the United States at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Yeah, he said I was a demonologist when I was about 25 or 26. Mm-hmm. I never felt comfortable with that title up until, well, really this year. Why do you um, think that is? The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. Ah, okay. And when I was about 26, I had a crisis of faith where I thought, everybody thinks I'm an expert. I don't know a damn thing. And I had to go out in the world and I had to keep learning. And I did. I've lived on four continents, nine countries, been to a couple dozen others. And done a lot of research, and that's exactly what I'm going out into the world to do now. After I spend six months in Spain, I'll be in Britain, which I know well. I'm also a British citizen. Ireland, Netherlands, Germany, then probably Eastern Europe. And from there, I'll be hitting India, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, then down into um, New Zealand, and then two years in uh, South America studying things like Kimbanda, Mbanda, uh, and a bunch of other uh, Afro-African-derived religions. Oh, man. This sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. You know, I'm free now. (laughs) 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 That operation did a lot of good for me. That's so good. And once again, Chris, we are so happy that you were able to get through an operation safely. And, you know, again, congratulations on the weight loss. That is amazing. Thank you. Uh, Actually, I woke up in the recovery room, and I wondered when they were going to get around to it. There was no pain or anything, and I was up and walking in five minutes. You know, that happens to a lot of people when they get surgery. They they get put under, and then they wake up going, when are we going to start? And it's already over. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually a little nervous myself because I will be getting surgery uh, on my foot. Uh, Turns out I've had a broken foot for quite some time, military injury. So Mm. I'm kind of nervous about it, but at the same time, it should be interesting. Uh, The dreams I hear are very, very interesting, too. So... I didn't uh, have any. <laughs> oh, you didn't have any of those dreams. I didn't. Honestly, I didn't know I had been out. Oh, wow. Wow. So it was just like one blank slate and it just opened your eyes and was already over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you I'm know, like, I hope that happens to me. To this room? <laughs> I really hope that happens to me because I don't want to like have weird dreams and then wake up and be like, but you were there and you were there and you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about life with the Warrens growing up. One question that actually uh, myself, my team, really wanted to know was, uh, what was it like growing up knowing that you had relatives who dealt with the supernatural? And one of the bigger questions that we really were asking, and we were trying to keep this in the most appropriate way possible, but we had to ask, what was Thanksgiving or Christmas like? Or better yet, what was Halloween like with the Warrens? Great questions. Well, let's see. When I was four, uh, my sister, who was three, locked me in the museum at night. Are you serious? Yeah. 
We're talking about the museum. Haunted museum. Oh my gosh! What in the world? Yeah, that was that was my first exposure to the paranormal. Uh, Being locked in there in the dark alone. Luckily, thank you God, my grandfather was in the office in the back, and when I started screaming, he came running. Wow! But that stuck with me. I mean, it's my first memory. Uh, And my grandfather had. He loved Halloween. Oh, my God, he loved Halloween. And all of the tropes. You know, he, he loved the, the ridiculous bat on, on a string coming down and dropping in front of you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he had a whole Halloween room in the basement. The, the old uh, flags, not flagstone, fieldstone uh, floored basement that looks like a dungeon. Uh, which, by the way, has a dungeon door leading to the corridor that goes out to the museum. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, so let me let me just get this straight here. We're talking about Ed Warren, the man who who is a self-proclaimed demonologist, has done so over more than ten thousand paranormal investigations, and he was a huge fan of Halloween. Oh yeah, not I, just by the way, not just self-professed demonologist. He was recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. That my mind is just blown right now, Chris. Absolutely blown. Oh, they loved both of them. Loved the autumn. My grandmother loved, you know, pumpkins on her uh, sweater and going out to the pumpkin fields with us. Uh, my grandmother loved any holiday. She just loved that sense of family. My grandmother was the most grandmotherly woman <laughs> you could imagine. Her mother was a great role model. My great grandmother, sweetest lady in the world, and my grandmother took right after her. She would come in, you couldn't see her behind the pile of presents, and that would be for <laughs> one of us. And then she would go out and do it again, and again, and again. Oh, my you know, god! It was amazing how long it could take to unwrap all of these wonderful gifts. She was <laughs> just awesome. What, what was the best Christmas gift you got from your grandparents? Oh, good God. I'm 55 years old. Well, like, like something that, like, which one stuck to you at least? Or at least something that stuck? All right. Well, I get, guess I get to admit my nerd roots. <laughs> the Star Trek technical manual in 1974. That is nice. Wow. Yeah, that, okay. that stuck with me. Wow, they they really went all out too for to reach your little nerdum too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Big Renee, time. I think you just found your best friend. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, to change the subject here, in our previous episode, uh, part one, we talked about multiple things that Ed and Lorraine uh, Warren had done investigation wise, and they were also about inspirations for these films that had come out. We talked about Annabelle, the doll that was causing problems for three roommates and even for Ed and Lorraine. Now, and others. Yeah, and others, yes. And so I remember, I recall reading that once Ed and Lorraine had finally been able to take Annabelle out of the home of the three roommates, they experienced some problems of their own just trying to get Annabelle back to the museum. Not just then. Um, this is the thing. You have to remember, this was 1968. Mm-hmm. Nobody had taught my grandparents anything. They were learning on their own, all right? And they were real pioneers. You know, I, I had the benefit, at 16 years old, I went on my first case with them, and I had the benefit of Ed Warren right there. Wow. 
And it continued that way always. You know, I didn't have the struggles that they did. They didn't know how to bind Annabelle. They didn't know how to protect themselves at first. They had to figure all of that out on their own. So a lot of it was trial by error. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. At first, Annabelle sat in a rocking chair in the museum, not in a box, not blocked with crucifix and holy water and blessed salt and everything else that we use. No, it was just sitting in a chair. And one time, uh, Father Bill Charbonneau, a family friend of ours, good man, loved him. He had come over with his brand new car, and he wanted to show it to my grandparents. He was very close to them. My grandmother used to take me to his church for midnight mass on Christmas Eve every year. Oh, nice. And he said, Ed, I hear you've got this uh, doll that attacks people. And my grandfather said, yes, Father, would you like to see it? And so they went downstairs. Father Bill walks over to Annabelle, picks it up, and throws it across the room and says, God is stronger than the devil. Wow. And my grandfather said, well, yes, Father, God is stronger than the devil, but no man is. And on his way home, Father Bill's in his brand new car, and he said that he saw this halo of light coming straight at him, like, like a car rushing straight at him, but in the halo was Annabelle. Wow. And he veered out of the way, went into a ditch. The car was absolutely totaled, and he broke his leg. I was actually talking about this on a live um, session on Facebook today. Another thing that happened, my grandparents were driving through Pennsylvania on their way home from a series of lectures. And in Pennsylvania, you've got um, Bethlehem and Lord's Valley and Paradise and all of these lovely um, biblical names. And my grandfather made a joke that not even Amityville or Annabelle could hurt him there. The moment he said that, they were on Route 84, no cars around, they got slammed in the back just as if they were hit by a car. Whoa. And it threw them off the road and into a ditch. Oh, my gosh. Luckily, they weren't hurt. A truck that had been about a quarter mile behind them pulled up, came to them, and he said he swore it looked as if somebody had rear-ended them. Oh, my that, gosh. Yeah. They definitely had some problems get, just getting home with the doll. I mean, just, oh, my gosh. Well, I don't re- actually, I don't recall, and they may have. Remember, it's been years. Oh, that's right, yes. But I don't recall that they had any problems actually transporting the doll to their house. Maybe then you can help me out real quick here. So I read this book. It was by Gerald Brittle, I believe. He was one of the best writers with my grandparents. Okay. He also he wrote The Demonologist and The Devil in Connecticut. Those oh, okay. Were two of my favorites. So in the book, The Demonologist, uh, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren, he mentions, there's a chapter, chapter three is about Annabelle, and he actually mentions that as they were driving home, they were experiencing some car troubles, the car would malfunction or shut off just randomly. With... That stuff happens all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, because even, even with the doll in it, too. He... They mess with energy. These things are incredibly common. There was a time my grandfather was, if you want me to tell you a story. Oh, absolutely, Yes. My grandfather was down in the base, well, in his office in the museum. It was three o'clock in the morning. The clock had just chimed. My grandmother was upstairs in her bedroom reading the biography of Padre Pio, who is a saint and, in my opinion, the family's patron saint. He's shown up on the case in West Pittston, Pennsylvania for us. He showed up in Amityville with us. Well, not me. I wasn't there. He's shown up on a number of my cases as well. So Hmm. 
that was the stage that you know my grandfather's in the museum my grandmother's up in bed with her two dogs waiting for ed and my grandfather heard the remember i told you dungeon door in the basement yes he heard that slam open and then he heard three footsteps on the stones heading toward him down the corridor and he thought it was my grandmother bringing some coffee so he called out to her and he said i'm in the in the back in the office and there was no answer he said what's going on wait a minute i only heard three footsteps and then he hears it sounds like a distant cyclone building energy and he realizes something's not right then the lights dim in the office down to brown i've had the same experience myself and the room started to smell of sulfur rotting eggs and it got bone chilling cold he grabbed his crucifix and his holy water and he rushed out into the museum just as this thing burst through the door and straight into the museum it was this giant black mass much bigger than a man and it went past him to his left side and stopped about 10 feet away from him and as he watched it started to take on features like a hooded monk and he realized he had to do something or else this thing was going to attack him so he lifted his crucifix and he stepped forward and it stepped forward to him too and he said by the power of Jesus Christ i command you to be gone and he threw the holy water at this thing and just before it disappeared it sent this image to my grandfather of a horrible car accident mm. a potentially deadly car accident and then it disappeared a few seconds later my grandfather hears animals fighting outside screeching howling and he knows these are not animals he's not going to go down the corridor that this thing just came from because that's an enclosed space he doesn't want to get caught but he right. realizes it's going for my grandmother wow so he goes out the side entrance and he starts running outside to get up the stairs and into the house again he's going to be too late this thing barrels upstairs my grandmother can sense it coming and she's terrified absolutely terrified the dog's hair is standing on end they're cowering and this thing it starts smashing against walls as though it's got a giant mallet and it's swirling through the dining room and the living room and then it comes into the bedroom and it's right there in front of her and she doesn't know what to do she's just frozen with fear and somehow you know pure instinct she makes the sign of the cross in front of her and my grandfather bursts through the back door He starts running toward the front of the house where my grandmother was, and this thing swirled, twisted, went out the door, up the chimney, and was gone. This was the day they'd been contacted Channel 5 in New York to go into the Amityville Horror House. And that car accident I mentioned that was in Pennsylvania? Yes. That was the accident that the demon had shown my grandfather. I mean, we're both sitting here very quiet right now yeah. because we're trying to figure and process everything that you had just told us, Chris. That is a poof. It's interesting you just mentioned Amityville because we did have some questions on that. Did Ed and Lorraine ever talk to you about what happened during the investigation of a house with the Lutz family? Absolutely. Oh, nice. You know, George was this ex-marine motorbike guy, real tough. This was a 
a blended family. Uh, he was a stepdad and and a dad, one of Kathy's sons, and they got a great deal on this home because of the DeFeo murders. But they still mortgaged themselves to the hilt. After they moved in around Christmas time of 1975, they were gone by January. They fled and they left everything behind. They left food, clothing, coin collections, gun collections, and they would not go back in that home for anything. When the media contacted my grandparents to go in, they had to go to Kathy Lutz's mother's house to meet the family. The family was not going to go back to Amityville. And they got the key from George. They wouldn't interview the Lutzes until after they'd been into the house. They didn't want to color their own perceptions. But George asked for only one thing from the house, the deed to the house. What, well, sorry, what do you think that is? He needed to sell the house. They had lost everything. They had nothing. They had to live at Kathy Lutz's mother's house because they had no savings. They mortgaged themselves to the hilt for the place. And then they ran away in less than a month. I can see why, yeah. They just wanted my grandfather to get the deed for him. My grandparents went in there with two other light trance mediums. The news wanted them to perform a seance. That was a bit of a fiasco. Nothing much happened except my grandmother started having heart palpitations. Half the people in there started having problems, but no spirits came through. My grandfather went by himself down into the basement. He said it felt as though a giant wet towel had been thrown over him, and it threw him to his knees. Interesting. Yeah, and he had his holy water, and he threw it all over himself. And that feeling went away. And he could see this cubby hole, this red door. And in that room behind that door was a pentagram painted on the ground, and it looked as though it had been used for some kind of satanic rituals by Ron DeFeo Jr. Wow. Now, oh that, that house itself has a lot of history, and I have it on good authority from people who have been checking that some of the families who've lived there have had some real problems, including death. Matter of fact, one of them just sold it for half of what it was worth, 600000 after asking $1.2 Was this recent? Yeah, two years ago. So the, is anyone living there now, or is, it, is the house empty? I believe it's occupied now. The thing you have to understand about any haunted house... You have to be somebody who's predisposed to these things for them to manifest and, and bother you. Okay. As my grandmother put it, like attracts like. If you're having internal conflicts in your family, if you're mentally ill, if, if you're struggling in some way, then these things are going to pick up on that negativity, and they're, they're predators. They're going for the weakest link, the weakest victim they can get. And so if, if you're a well-adjusted bunch, yeah, chances are you're not going to have a problem. George Lutz obviously was having a lot of issues while living in that house. And yes. also um, we've got the DeFeos, their son, their older son, who, who was having a lot of mental issues. So because of th what was going on with them, they were getting attacked due to, would you say, they were creating the neg negativity in the home or they brought the negativity? No, no, no. They, they were more vulnerable to the negativity in the okay. home. Okay, okay, more vulnerable. Right. It's, it's very similar to a psychological term called pre-morbid personality, Interesting. Uh, which means that you're predisposed to mental illness, but you're not mentally ill. In this case, I'm not saying that everybody who's haunted is mentally ill. No, I would never say that. But what I'm saying is certain people 
have more of a susceptibility than other people. Interesting. Psychics, for instance. Oh, my goodness. Psychics are very, very vulnerable to phenomena, and bats in particular. They pick up everything. That's just wild. Yeah. Chris, I do have one more question to ask you before we end this show. Because, by the way, again, thank you for letting us know about the Amityville House, also with Annabelle. This truly an honor, sir, to be hearing this straight from, from you. Oh, I will say one more thing. About yes. Me. My grandfather said he wouldn't go back in that house for any amount of money. And my grandmother, when she went down in the basement, said it's as close to hell as she ever hopes to get. Oh, man. That's really interesting because... <laughs> You said it earlier that they did a seance, but no spirits were around or right. coming out. So that just shows that the house itself is just all one big entity, negative entity. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Not, no, Renee. No, what I'm saying is, and, and they were asked, they said, look, is there a ghost in the house? And my grandfather said to the news, they said, no, there's no ghost in this house, but it's haunted. Because it was an inhuman spirit. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. okay. Right, which a lot of people call demons. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people call them call them demons. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely nuts. Well, unfortunately, we do have to end the show. The show is only an hour long, and we have a couple more things that we just want to mention here. Can you, Chris, tell the listeners what you have planned, what you're up to, so that way we can also keep an ear out for what you are, are going to be doing later on in the future? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we have the Warren Files podcast coming out. I'll be doing those all around the world and sharing what I learned with you. Awesome. So I'm going to be investigating the paranormal and sharing what is going on, for instance, Nigerian black magic or spirit houses in Thailand or the, the haunted city of York or Borley Church in southeastern England, one of the most haunted places there is. I'm excited to share it with you. I'm excited to help people to understand and hopefully keep people out of trouble. You know, the, the paranormal programs that are on television today are entertainment, and they're not meant to be taken seriously. Most of them are actually quite dangerous if you were to follow what they do. I won't mention names, but some of them are absolutely horrifying in hmm. what they show you that they do because it's not something anybody in the right mind would do right yeah so i'm hoping to make this different it's important to me that with the warren legacy foundation that we raise the professionalism of this field we share our research so that one day we can unlock far more mysteries and help even more people Ah, that's good. That's awesome. And I honestly, sir, cannot wait to hear your podcast. When you showed me that the uh, your, your graphic design for it, I was very intrigued by it. And now I'm more intrigued because I really want to hear what you have to say. So I really, I wish you the best of luck on your podcast, sir. And uh, also, you know, from someone who has investigated little paranormal places that are, that are considered to be uh, haunted or high in activity, I would like to say to you, sir, you know, please be careful, be safe and all that because we, we would love to have you come back on the show and tell us more about what it is that you you've been up to it would be my pleasure may, may i just give a bit of a warning to yes absolutely please do same thing my grandparents have always said please folks don't try to do spirit communication i, I don't care if it's ouija board seances or evps if you don't know what you're doing it's a slippery slope and you can invite anything in there is no good protection when you open that door so be incredibly careful with what you're doing. Always protect yourself with your faith. Uh, a ritual to help focus your faith is 
paramount. And then you can start helping others. But if you go in there unguarded, unprotected, you're just going to become a victim. I've got far too many paranormal, ex-paranormal investigators who contact me because they're now in trouble. Also, if you need us, you can find us not only on www.warrenfiles.com, but also on Facebook, Warren Legacy Foundation, and, of course, Chris McKinnell. Well, folks, you uh, you heard it here from Chris McKinnell, the grandson of Ed and Lorraine Warren. He said it himself, do not go messing with these spirit boards or these Ouija boards. It is a problem. You will create a problem for yourself. Well, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Again, Mr. McKinnell, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, sharing with us your knowledge on the paranormal and also sharing with us about your podcast and also the Ed and Lorraine Warren Foundation. We really appreciate this. This has been a truly, truly an honor, sir. So again, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been my pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for us on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, If you want to go ahead and follow us to keep up on more information about this show, check us out on Facebook at PodParanormal87. You can see our Instagram where we post a lot of our pictures, a lot of our um, uh, upcoming episodes that we're going to be doing and episodes that will be coming out soon on Instagram, VoidPodcast18. Also give us a follow at NightwingSilver on Twitter and please do us a favor and check out our website. That's intothevoidpod.com, intothevoidpod.com. Last but not least, Into the Void is having its first ever spooktacular giveaway. That's right. Become a patron of the show and be automatically eligible to win a -a one-of-a-kind handcrafted ghost lapel pin. For more on that, go to patreon.com forward slash into the void. That's patreon.com forward slash into the void. All right. Well, that about does it for me. Renee, do you have anything else uh, before we end the show? No, not at all. That was great. (laughs) That was amazing. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this very special two-part episode of Into the Void. This was fantastic. And with that, I am G-Man, and I would like to thank you so very much for falling with me into the void. We'll catch you later. (laughs) 